Let's go ahead and open with prayer. Lord, as always, we are grateful and thankful for the privilege to come before your throne of grace any time of day or night that we have an audience with you. We don't have to go uh, through a, a human being or jump through any kind of religious hoops, and there's no uh, curtain or partition separating us from that holies of holies anymore. And we just thank you, Father, that we can call you Father, and just like a good father, we can come to you day or night. And uh, Lord, we come to you this afternoon thanking you for the facility that we get to meet in. It's pretty hot outside, and, and it's nice and cool in here, and uh, we can just relax and be comfortable. We're not persecuted. We can freely bring our Bibles and teach and preach the Word of God. And Lord, we live in such a blessed, privileged place, and we want to thank you for that. And uh, we don't want to take for granted those blessings that we uh, enjoy, because one day we may not enjoy those things. And um, Lord, we don't want to take your word for granted either. Uh, all over the nation, you know, people have Bibles sitting on their coffee tables or shelves collecting dust. And, and Lord, we want our Bibles to be well used and well worn. We want it underlined and highlighted. And we want the pages dull from our fingerprints. And we want to, we just want to dig into your word. We don't want to take it for granted, Lord. And so we know that in, in and of ourselves and the carnality and the fallen nature of our flesh, we can't understand your word because it's a spiritual living document. And we need your Holy Spirit to illuminate our mind and our heart and open our hearts and minds to understanding so that we can understand your word and apply it to our lives, especially the book of Proverbs, as it is so practical. Uh, and it's just not something that's really too hard to study. You can read it and immediately go out and do what it says. It's, it's, it's easy. And um, that's what I love about the Proverbs. It's so practical. It's never outdated. None of your word is outdated, but especially the Proverbs. So, Lord, help us as we read and study your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher, tutor, and guide. And uh, anoint my lips, Lord, and my mind that my, I may teach according to your will, work, and way on what the Proverbs has to say about peace. And we ask and pray and give thanks for these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. So Proverbs is great. We've been usually going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and just breaking down the verses and, and getting into the original language of the Hebrew and uh, really getting down to the nuts and bolts and nitty-gritty uh, in this exegetical study of Proverbs. And it's good for that, but Proverbs is also good for topical study. We've, uh, we've gone over several different uh, subjects and what the Proverbs has to say about such things like tongues and anger and wisdom and all these things. So virtually any subject matter that you want to bring up, Proverbs has something to say about it. And I've been thinking a lot about peace and uh, because I got vacation coming up and that's what I want. I want peace. <laughs> I want peace and quiet. I want to get refreshed. And the Hebrew word for peace, we all know, it's a pretty common word. It's shalom. And in Israel, it means hello. It means goodbye. But shalom or peace means completeness, soundness. It means welfare, means prosperity, contentment, and tranquility. So it's a pretty loaded word, and it's, it's one of those words that's really hard to translate, and peace is just the umbrella term that we use to talk about being complete and sound and whole and prosperous and content and tranquil. And let's keep that in mind as we go through the Proverbs. Now, there are five main verses that talk about peace, and four of them is in the positive 
And one of them is in the negative, and we'll get into that in a moment. But the first place we find peace in the New American Standard Bible is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, My son, and again it's Solomon, and he's, he's addressing pretty much all his sons, so sons is kind of collective, but uh, he's talking to the future rulers and ambassadors and nobles and princes and kings of Israel. So he says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Verse 2, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Now, my sons do not forget my teachings. So where is Solomon getting his teachings from? From God. He's getting them from the five books of Moses. He's getting them from the Torah, which is the instruction manual, the kingdom law for God's people. And when a king rose to power within Israel, the first thing that he had to do before he did any administrative stuff was to sit down and write his own personal copy of the five books of Moses, letter for letter, word for word, under the careful scrutiny and guidance of the Levitical priests. And he was to read it daily, as it says, as it's commanded to do so in Deuteronomy, because even Deuteronomy was... was uh, preparing ahead of time and, and, and knew prophetically that one day that Israel would have a cessation of kings. And so uh, the king was commanded to make a copy of his own Torah, the first five books of Moses, and he was to, to study it, to memorize it, to read it, to, to uh, teach from it, to instruct Israel by it, to govern Israel by it. And so that's where Solomon is getting his teachings. So he says, my son, do not forget my teaching. And his teaching is based on God's word. It's based on the five books of Moses. Son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and shalom and peace, wholeness, completeness, soundness, prosperity, contentment, tranquility, they will be added to you. Now, when I read this verse, especially verse 2, where it says length of days and years of life, it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 6. So in Ephesians chapter 6, a lot of times when you think of Ephesians chapter 6, you automatically think of the armor of God because that's where uh, that's the chapter where the armor of God is found. But before Paul gets into talking about the armor, he talks to the family and talks about the family. And in Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord... So this is also kind of an implication that the parents are getting their instructions and their teachings and rules and regulations and commandments that they pass down to you from God himself. So it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2, honor your father and your mother. And that's a direct quote from the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. That's interesting, the first commandment with a promise. We know that when we keep commandments, there's going to be blessings that follow. And some of those blessings may not be descript. God may not tell us what those blessings are. We just know that they're going to be some sort of blessings. But this one is the first commandment with a promise. In other words, we know what the blessing is going to be for honoring our father and our mother. Verse 3, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And so that pairs very well with Proverbs 3, 2. Uh, For length of days and years of life and peace, they will be added unto you. So we see Ephesians 6 
1 through 3 and Proverbs 3, 1 through 2 go well, so well together. So in this first uh, passage where Proverbs is talking about peace, peace is submitting and obeying to an authority that submits to God's authority. Let me repeat that. Peace, according to the definition of Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, peace is submitting and obeying. We don't like that. Our fallen nature does not want to submit. We, we're naturally uh, inclined and prone to rebel because we want our way. We want what feels good to us. So we bristle at that very word submit. We bristle sometimes at the word obey. But in order to have peace, God's peace and God's blessing, peace is submitting and obeying to an authority that submits to God's authority. Now, we're fearful to submit and obey because we're, we're afraid that we're going to get taken advantage of. We're, we're afraid that we're going to get abused. But when we submit and obey to an authority that's uh, answerable to God, we feel safe in submitting to that authority because we know that, number one, God is holy. So he's always going to do what's right. Number two, God is love. So he's holy and he's love, so he's never going to hurt us, harm us, take advantage of us, use us, abuse us, or punish us unjustly. And if a governing authority is submitting to God and they're trying to be Christ-like and God-like in their governance, then we should feel safe in submitting to them, especially if this leader or this authority, whether it be a parent, whether it be a pastor, whether it be an employer or what have you, uh, we feel safe submitting and obeying to them because we know their track record. We know that they have a personal relationship with God. We know that the, the rules and regulations and, and expectations that they're passing down to us uh, are, are based on, on God's word. It's just like obeying the laws of the land of the United States and Canada. The United States and Canada were once known as Judeo-Christian nations, and the foundation was the word of God. So every law that sprung uh, up in the United States and Canada, the springboard of that was the Word of God itself. So there's laws against murder. Where do we find that at? Ten Commandments. You know, there's laws against stealing. Where do we find that at? We find that in the Bible, right? So um, used to, or formerly, the United States and Canada were under submission to God, and they were a godly governing authority. Now, yeah, now they're taking that all away. Now that's thrown into question, especially with them arresting and jailing uh, pastors and ministers for uh, keeping their congregations open. Uh, so, yeah, during during uh, the pandemic, I mean, it, it, it just stands to reason if uh, Walmart can be open, why can't church? Well, if you're yeah, they took prayer to schools and. The Ten Commandments, yeah. Yeah, anything that has to do with God or the Bible, they're just ripping out of society. And I still remember, up until third, second or third grade, I still remember uh, the Gideons coming into school and giving all the kids a Bible, a New Testament. I still remember once a month, uh, some lady would come in and tell us a Bible story at school. I remember starting the day off with the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, you know, I still remember the, the Ten Commandments being publicly displayed in school and in, in uh, um, government uh, facilities, but no longer. Yeah, yeah, and we would, yeah, we would even say the Lord's Prayer in school, yeah. Uh, and there was prayer in school and all that was taken away. So uh, peace is submitting and obeying to an authority that submits to God's authority. So it would be parents, it would be, you know, a religious leader, 
uh, it would you know be your employer or your employee it would be the government in some cases so in order to have wholeness soundness completeness contentment prosperity and tranquility and welfare in order to have peace we have to submit and obey first to God and then to those that are in authority over us and when you think of a parent and you think of a pastor um, you think well who are they answerable to well as a pastor I'm answerable to the board of management not only that I'm answerable to you because a pastor is not just a leader he's a servant I'm here to serve you I'm here to help you in any way that I can even though that I have a leadership position over you and parents who do they answer to you know well they answer to their neighbors they answer to you know their parents and they answer to God and if they're abusing or harming their kids somebody can step in and rectify that situation so no matter where you are in life uh, it's very rare that you're gonna be in a position where you have the final say and you're the top dog most everybody has somebody they're accountable to even leaders all right so the second um, the second passage in Proverbs that deals with peace is Proverbs 317 I'm gonna turn there myself because we're gonna be dealing more with just than just uh, Proverbs 317 so I'll mark my place in Ephesians because I think we're gonna be coming back to that so Proverbs chapter 3 verse 17 says this her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace who's this her wisdom very good wisdom is the her in this passage and who does wisdom uh, symbolize or who is wisdom referring to it's good God's laws yeah um, and in some cases it is referring to Jesus because we've seen how wisdom says I was there by God's side when he was creating the universe and and uh, I wisdom was there with him so that represents Jesus Christ because in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God and we see in John 1 that that Jesus is actually the the creative force the agent that spoke everything to creation because he is the living manifestation of the written word but in Proverbs chapter 3 I believe that wisdom is pointing to the Holy Spirit and it's interesting that the Holy Spirit or wisdom is is referred to as a her in Proverbs so it says her wisdom's ways are pleasant ways her ways are pleasant ways now we know that God is genderless right you know God's not a he or a she and so the Holy Spirit's not a he or a she but because God created us and he created us male and female God has masculine patriarchal attributes as well as feminine and matriarchal attributes and he had to have those within himself in order to create us with those attributes so God is always deemed as God the Father now the Holy Spirit we know that in a lot of languages there's masculine and feminine and you know especially in French not so much in English but in French and in Hebrew there's certain things that are designated masculine pronouns and feminine and all this kind of stuff well the Holy Spirit is actually in the feminine in the Hebrew which I think is really interesting because the 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 Holy Spirit does represent that more motherly that more nurturing that more loving feminine type aspect of God's nature and so here uh, wisdom I believe is representatory of the Holy Spirit her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are Shalom all her paths are peace all her paths are complete and sound all her paths are prosperous all her paths lead to contentment and tranquility 
So I told you we'd be going back to Ephesians, or yeah, Ephesians. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to start with verse 17. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. That the Lord God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you his spirit, his spirit, give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Which he also brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. All right, so verse 17 refers to the spirit of wisdom. And we know that the spirit of wisdom, according to what we just found out and read in Proverbs 3.17, is representatory of the Holy Spirit. So that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. That Holy Spirit that, that, that is wise. That spirit of wisdom. Isn't that the same prayer that he said this morning? That's the same, same passage. Same passage. Say, oh, at, Ministry. Oh, the Christian prison ministry? Yeah, he said that prayer this morning. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So we see that the wisdom of the Holy Spirit uh, is represented in Ephesians 1.17. But it's interesting that that spirit is connected to verse 20. It says, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So... James says that faith without works is dead, just as the body without the spirit is dead. So if our body doesn't have a spirit, it's just a corpse. And when Jesus died, you know, we know that his spirit descended to, you know, the, 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 to, to preach to those that were in prison, and then it ascended to the Father later on. So there was a three days and three nights where Jesus was dead. His corpse, his body lay in the tomb. So what was that resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead? It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who has and contains resurrection power. Because if we go back to Proverbs 3, verse 17, where it talks about uh, wisdom, it says, Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. And verse 18 says, She, wisdom, the Holy Spirit is what? A tree of what? A tree of life. To those who take hold of her, and happy are those who hold her fast. So here we have that, that connection or that implication that the Holy Spirit is not only wise, the Holy Spirit um, not only gives us peace, but the Holy Spirit has resurrection power because in Proverbs 3.18, that wisdom, that Holy Spirit is connected to life, the tree of life. And we know that if Adam and Eve never fell, and they chose to eat the tree of life prior to the, knowledge, to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, if they ate of the tree of life, they would have lived forever. It would have been literally heaven on earth. And that's the goal because when Yeshua returns and, and Armageddon and the rapture and the new heaven and the new earth, it's going to be a great reset. We've 
heard that buzzword in the news re uh, recently, but it's going to be a, a divine great reset where there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and it's going to be like it always was meant to be. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden. We're going to have new bodies. We're never going to die. There's not going to be any hurt or any pain, and the Holy Spirit is involved in that. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and in Ephesians 1.17, it talks about the spirit of wisdom, and then in verse 20, it implies that that spirit of wisdom is what brought Yeshua, Jesus Christ, from the dead. Uh, so I think that's all interesting here. So um, resurrection power. So let's break Proverbs 3.17 down. It says, her wisdom, or the Holy Spirit's ways. Now this word ways means a high road or a high path. And I think you can take that allegorically and literally. I think in a literal way, when you take the high path or the high road, it gives you a good uh, a 360 view where you can see all around you. So you can see danger coming from any direction. You, when you have the high ground, you have the advantage. And spiritually speaking, the moral high road, it's a high path that, that, that raises you up from the, the, the commonness and, and the, the, the sinful ways of the world that the world is stuck in. So it says, her, wisdom, Holy Spirit's ways, the high road, the high path, are pleasant ways. So it implies it's a safe and well-established path. It's a safe path. And in the Hebrew, it sort of kind of hints that it's kind of well-lit, that it's illuminated. You know, if it's the high ground or the high road, it's going to be close to the sky, close to the heavens. There's, you're going to be above the, the tree canopy. So there's not going to be anything obstructing your view. There's not going to be any mountains or buildings in the way or trees in the way. You're going to be able to see clearly all the way around you. So this, this Hebrew word for ways is a high road, a high path, and it implies a, state, a safe, well-established, and well-lit path. So her ways are pleasant ways. It means delightful and favorable. And all her paths are peace. Now, this word paths is a different word for the, than the Hebrew word ways. And this word paths also means well-established, but it means well-trodden. It means it's well-known and it's been traveled. So when it's a well-worn path, it could be a dirt road, but if it's traveled a lot, the dirt is tamped down to where it's just about as good as concrete or asphalt. Uh, and that's what this word paths means. It's well-established, well-trodden, well-worn. So it's implying that, that wisdom's ways, the Holy Spirit's ways, which is rooted in God's word, which is a sure foundation, a rock, if you will, um, that it is a well-trodden path. It's safe. It's illuminated. It's the high road. It's well-lit. It's well-known. It's well-traveled. It's trustworthy. It's depended upon. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are shalom. All her paths are wholeness, soundness, completeness, uh, prosperous, content, and tranquil, peace. Now, the third place in Proverbs that we encounter the word peace is not so good. It's in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 14. Now, Proverbs chapter 7 is all about that evil hussy, that evil harlot, that evil prostitute that wants to eat men like bread, that wants to seduce men and, and, and drag them down to the pits and to the gates of hell. So we see in Proverbs 7.14 this, this brazen prostitute. She comes out and she finds her prey. She finds this guy that she wants and she says, I was due to offer peace offerings today and I have paid my vows. 
I was due to offer peace offerings, and today I have paid my vows. That's kind of strange. You have this prostitute who is living ungodly, living sinfully, not according to the word of God, but yet she's offering peace offerings. Now, I'm sure that we can assume that it's to a pagan god or a pagan deity, but we can still apply it to the Christian life because there's people who sin and say, oh, God, I'm sorry, I confess my sin. They go back and continue to keep doing the same thing that they were doing. They don't truly repent because they don't change their mind about what they were doing. They don't change their ways, and they don't repent and stop doing what they were doing in the first place. So it's as if this prostitute is kind of symbolizes one of those, those Christians in name only. Oh, yeah, I go to church. I read my Bible. Yeah, I go to Sunday school. I go to Wednesday night service. I participate in Bible study. I sing in the choir. But yet, during the week, they live like the devil. And then there's like, oh, it's okay because when Sunday comes, I can just go to the altar and repent and it'll be all right. You know, I can ask God to forgive me. That's not a true believer. I was due to offer peace offerings. Today, I have paid my vows. This is a false peace. This isn't true peace. This isn't real peace. It's it's a false self-deceptive peace gained by trust in religious rituals that doesn't change the heart. You know, you have these cults, these Christian cults, and they're saying, well, 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 you know what? You can ask Jesus into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, and that's great. But if you don't get baptized, you're going to hell. What does dunking yourself in water have to do with your spirit or going to heaven? Like something physical we can do here on earth will, will, will matter in the spiritual realm in eternity? Why do I have to get wet to go to heaven? And they say, your salvation depends upon that baptism. No. What about the thief on the cross? He didn't have a chance to jump off the cross and hurry up and dunk himself in water and get wet. Okay. No, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Didn't say anything about getting baptized. But yet you have some Christian cults that saying, okay, well, you know, when they say, you know, Jesus and or Jesus plus something else, you know it's a cult. Because all you need is Jesus. That's all. And, and, and you know, we, we've westernized salvation. Like, really, if you look in the Bible, there's nowhere in the Bible that there's a prayer or a passage or a scripture that says, accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. That's just a western way that we've put the gospel for people to better understand it. Basically, all the, the, the Bible says is to, number one, believe and repent. That's what saves you. You believe in Jesus Christ. You believe in God, you believe in his word, and you repent. And when you repent, it means that you agree with what God said about his word, what God said about life, what God said about what is sin and what is not. So you, you believe and you repent. And that, that's what basically salvation is. And so we've kind of encapsulated that and kind of packaged, packaged it with, with kind of this uh, formula, accept Jesus Christ into your life, into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior. That's just a Western way of framing that biblical concept of believe and repent. So here we have this prostitute, this pagan, who thinks that as long as, as, as she does peace offerings, as long as she does religious rituals, she gets a star in her chart, and, and, and the gods are going to bless her and leave her alone, and she doesn't have to worry for a while. So this is a false, self-deceptive peace gained by trust in religious rituals that doesn't change the heart. Another, uh, uh, another cult will say, well, you know, accepting Jesus is fine. That's the first step, but you got to speak in tongues because that proves you're saved. And if you don't speak in tongues, you're going to hell. You're not really saved. 
Show me the chapter and verse. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says that. Jesus plus anything else is, is a cult. So, um, so this is uh, uh, the third example in Proverbs 7.14 is really giving us kind of a, a bad example, kind of a warning that let's not let our peace be found in rituals, in customs, in traditions, in man-made doctrines, and man-made things. True peace only comes from God. True peace only comes from his word. So that third example is more of a warning. And we need that every once in a while. So the fourth uh, the fourth place we find the word peace in Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 20. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 20. It says, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. So we can break this down in part A and part B. So part A is... Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. So this, this means treachery to harm others for personal gain. Deceit is, fat, is, is in the heart. It's in the soul. It's in the being. It, it, it makes up this person's constitution. Deceit, which involves uh, uh, lying. It involves uh, pulling the wool over someone's eyes. It involves treachery. It involves... Getting, getting the better of somebody. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise. In, in other words, they construct, they plan, they formulate, they scheme evil. And this word for evil actually means to harm or afflict someone else. So treachery to harm others for personal gain. That's part A. Part B says, but on the other hand, the counselors of peace have joy. Now, this... Basically, the counselors of peace have joy. Uh, this this counselor or this counsel is instruction and advice for wholeness so as to benefit others and seeing others' prosperity and success bringing you joy. But the counselors of peace have joy. A counselor of peace has no ulterior motives. They're not out for money. They're not out for prestige. They're not out for personal gain. They're having success in their life. They're having blessings in their life. They're wanting you to have the same and more. And so they freely give what they already have. They freely give what they already understand. They freely advise and teach and instruct what they already know and live themselves. Why? So they can see you succeed. So they, so they can see you successful. And when you succeed and are successful and, and you're blessed... That's the greatest gift you can give a counselor of peace. You know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's nothing more frustrating to a pastor when somebody says, Oh, pastor, I need to talk to you. You know, schedule me some time this week and, and, and I want to meet. And I want And so we meet and then, you know, we sit down for about an hour and they, they pour out their heart. They pour out their problems. And what do I do? All right. Well, this is what you do. A, B, C. Okay. Thanks, pastor. And then they come back the next time saying, oh, nothing's changed. My life's still a mess. Like, well, did you do what I said? Well, no, but. Well, then why did you come to me if you were never going to plan on doing what I asked you to do? What I know is going to work. Why? It makes no sense. You're still trying to do it your way. Then you just wasted my time. But when somebody takes my advice 
And, be, and, and, and the advice that I give is based on the Word of God, and it's worked for me, it's worked for others. And so when I see them listen and say, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it now, okay, that's exactly what I'm going to do, and they immediately go away and put it into practice and come back a week later, well, how's things? Well, still having some problems, but it's a lot better than before, you know, because I did what you said, this is happening. And it, that gives me true joy. That gives me true happiness. It, it, it does my heart good. And it, and, it, and it does. It gives me joy. And it says... The counselors of peace have joy. The counselors that advise on how to be complete. The counselors that advise on how to be sound and whole and to, ha and, and to be uh, prosperous, to be content, to be tranquil. These counselors who, who advise in such things, they have joy. They have true joy. They have simcha, as, as the Hebrew says. They have joy. Uh, and that's the greatest gift of all. I mean, anything else, money you spend, and usually it's on something stupid, frivolous, and selfish that breaks and gets destroyed, where, where rust and moth corrupt, or you use it to pay a bill or to buy groceries. You know, so money, it's, you, you, you get it, you use it, it's gone, and you need more of it. But this joy, that's something that you can go back and remember later, and you can still feel that joy. You remember that person that you helped, and you see them succeed in life, and you see God moving in their life because God used you to counsel them, and then you could relive that joy. It's the gift that keeps on giving. So this word counselor, this word counselor actually means to give. It implies to be generous, selfless, sacrificial, and it means to give advice with a purpose. So... But the counselor, or the counselors of peace have joy. The counselors, the ones who give selflessly, generously, and sacrificially, the ones who give advice with a purpose, they are the ones that are going to have joy. And joy means gladness, giddiness, mirth, gaiety, pleasure, happiness. So helping others brings shalom. Helping others brings peace. So we've learned so far that peace is submitting and obeying to God's word and godly authorities. Uh, you know, peace is, is taking the high path, the high road. Peace is helping others. And the last passage in Proverbs that deal with peace is Proverbs 16.7. 16.7. Proverbs 16.7 says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, so we can say, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, i.e. obeying and living out the laws of God, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Wow, that's, that's amazing. That's wonderful. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. So this is implying that when you obey God's laws and you obey God's word and you live by them, that that itself is going to bring peace. And that is even going to bring peace in many cases with your enemies. Now, I like what Luke chapter 2 verse 52 says, and it's about the boy Jesus um, this is after Passover, and he's in the temple, and he's listening to the, 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 the rabbis and the priests and the scholars and the, and, and the scribes. And they're, you know, he's listening to them, and then they're asking him questions. He's answering them, and they're so impressed. 
And then his parents come and find him and say, hey, where were you? You had us worried sick. And he says, did you not know I needed to be about my father's business? And it says after that, he left with his mom and dad and went back home and was obedient. And then it says in Luke 2.52, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and people. So because Jesus obeyed God, his heavenly father, he obeyed the scribes and the Pharisees, those religious leaders, he obeyed his parents, and he continued to do so, it says that he increased in wisdom and stature as a result and in favor with God and people. He lived at peace. He had a peaceful childhood. He had a peaceful adolescence. So um, I also want to read to you an example of this, of how um, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes his enemies be at peace with him. In Second Chronicles... Second Chronicles chapter 17. Second Chronicles, okay, that's First Chronicles. Keep going. Second Chronicles chapter 17, starting with verse three. Second Chronicles 17:3. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Why? Because he followed the example of his of his father David's um, earlier days and did not seek the Baals or the Baals. So first of all, here we see Jehoshaphat. The Lord is with him. The Lord is pleased with him because he is living like his ancestor David. And it says that, that, that David was a man after God's own heart. Yeah, he messed up. He sinned. He screwed up a lot. He, 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 he had his flaws and he had his mistakes, but he was repentant. And he always had God's word and God's heart uh, in mind and at the forefront. So it says, and the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David's earlier days and did not seek the Baals, did not seek the pagan gods of the nations around him, in other words. And then it goes on to say, verse 4, but he sought God. He sought the God of his father and followed his commandments and did not act as Israel did. So Jehoshaphat was all about making his ancestors proud, especially David, carrying on the Davidic dynasty, carrying on the Davidic legacy, knowing that through the line of David, the Messiah was going to eventually come, the, 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 the permanent ruler and king. Not only that, it said he sought the God of his fathers, which implies that he prayed daily, he worshiped daily, he, he, he consulted that, that Torah scroll that he had written himself, those five books, daily. But he sought the God of his father uh, and followed his commandments and did not act as Israel did. So we're talking about Judah. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and we talk about Israel, uh, um, uh, the... Um, Israel was, was like a, a, when the nation was split, you had the other ten tribes. They were having a succession of evil kings that worshipped the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the other pagan gods. But it says here that Jehoshaphat didn't do as Israel did. Because, um, you know, you had uh, Ahab and you had uh, the uh, king that, that made the golden calves and caused uh, Israel to worship them. He didn't act like them. And then in verse 5 it says, So the Lord... 
you know, because Jehoshaphat was obedient to God, because Jehoshaphat sought the Lord, because Jehoshaphat uh, desired to make his ancestors proud and live as David lived, so the Lord established the kingdom in his control. And all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. His rule and reign as king was not in question. He had everybody's vote of confidence. He was, he was the solid true king. So the Lord established the kingdom in his control, and all of Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat. Now I want to jump to verse 10. Verse 10 uh, really brings to light what Proverbs 16, 7 says. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, and we just read how Jehoshaphat's ways were pleasing to the Lord and why Jehoshaphat's ways were pleasing to the Lord. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. And so 2 Chronicles 17, 10 says, Now the dread of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of the lands which were around Judah, so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Because Jehoshaphat worshipped God, obeyed his word, all the enemies that hated him and really wanted to see the downfall of Judah were terrified of him and left him alone, and there was peace in the land as a result. Now the dread of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of the lands which were around Judah, so they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. So basically, in summary, in these five instances where Proverbs talks about peace, peace comes from two places according to the Proverbs. Number one, submission and obedience to God, His Word, and others He has placed in authority over us. Number two, uh, Peace comes from the sacrificial, selfless service to others for God's glory. Those are the two ways that the Proverbs teaches us where we can have and find true peace. And again, peace is not just, ah, you know, and you hear harps playing and you're kicking up on the beach. Peace is completeness, wholeness, soundness. It means welfare, prosperity, contentment, and tranquility. And today, we live in a world where peace is needed more than ever before. And uh, people always wonder and question, well, will there ever be peace in the Middle East? And they're talking about Israel and, and, and Palestinians and Hamas and all the fighting and the bombs and the rockets that have been you know, shot back and forth and all this unrest in Israel. And they're wondering, is the two-state two solution, is that going to work? You know, Because uh, Trump was working towards that and, you know, before he was taken out of office. So you know, what if that did happen? Would there be peace? And I'm like, no. No. There's never going to be peace. There's never going to be peace in Israel. There's never going to be peace in the Middle East. No man can bring about that peace. If there is, it's temporal. It's only maybe for a year or two before somebody gets mad or somebody breaks the treaty and then all hell breaks loose again. And I said, the only time peace is going to reign in Israel, the only time that there's going to be peace in the Middle East is when Yeshua, Jesus Christ, returns and comes back. He will establish peace. There will be peace when he comes, but not until then. We're always going to have these wars and rumors of wars, as it says in Matthew 24. So we need peace, but even though that there's not peace in this world, even though there's not peace in many countries and, and many nations, we can have peace in our hearts, we can have peace in our homes, we can have peace in our church. How? By submitting to God and His Word and the authorities that He's placed over us and by being sacrificial and selfless in our service to God and others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that even in the Proverbs we can find out how to have peace and what that peace looks like and it sounds so good and so pleasing and really it's so easy to do. 
It's just simply just surrender and submit to you and to live as Jesus lived. I know, I know, it's easier said than done, and you know, but when you put it into practice, you're going to have that satanic opposition because Satan wants to stop you. So Lord, help us to be men and women of peace. Help us to live pleasing to you that even our enemies are at peace with us. Like Jesus, let us grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with you and with mankind. Help us to be and do all that you want us and have us to be. And when people see our peace, when they see our wholeness, our soundness, our contentment, they're going to say, what's your secret? And we could say, it's God. It's Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. And Lord, maybe our peace will be some sort of uh, attraction for others that will open the door of witnessing an opportunity for them so that we can share with them the true gospel. And Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask these things and give thanks in Yeshua's name. Amen.